This podcast contains strong language and graphic depictions of criminal offenses. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite listening platform and share us with your friends. Now, let's get on with our cast introductions and jump right into the case. I'm Nathan. Hi, guys. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. I'm Josiah. I'm David. And, uh, and I'm your host, Tanner Asinero, a.k.a. The Odd One. <laughs> went in reverse.
on the flight service. What's that? He's on the flight service. Come on. Okay. Go, go ahead and go back to CPR. You're doing the CPR. They'll be there in a little bit, okay? Okay. Is your, is your doors unlocked? No. Okay, you need to run and unlock the doors so that way they can get in when they okay. get there. And then come back. And then come back. Okay. Okay, they're unlocked now. Okay. We're upstairs. You're upstairs? Do you have more than one bathroom in the house? Or? <laughs> no, there's two, but the upstairs is the only one with the bathroom. August 11th, 2008, Cincinnati, Ohio. Hell yeah, buddy. Again. 27-year-old Ryan and 24-year-old Sarah Widmer mm -hmm. had been married only four months when Ryan made this 911 call. Ryan said that he had been downstairs watching TV while Sarah was upstairs taking a bath. He came upstairs and found her, as he described, face down and fully submerged underneath the bathwater. He then made the 911 call when she didn't start breathing. When instructed by the dispatcher to take Sarah out of the tub and lay her on a flat surface, Ryan moves Sarah to the bedroom and performed CPR while awaiting for help. EMTs showed up and while en route to the emergency room, performed life-saving measures for 45 minutes and got no response. Ryan Widmer, with his mother Jill at his side, was told shortly after arriving at the hospital that Sarah was gone. She had died from drowning. The new marriage that friends and family described as perfect with the best future ahead was over in just 114 days. Honestly, justice for Sarah's. They're always dead. Justice for Sarah. What, what the family didn't know was that police weren't sure of the accidental nature of this death. Police and EMTs thought it was strange that in the case of a drowning victim, while they were performing CPR, they described her body as completely dry with only damp hair. When inspecting the bathroom, the detective described the floor and the bathtub as completely dry, except for a few residual water droplets near the drain of the tub. On the floor was a bath mat and a towel, also completely dry. None of the shampoo bottles and other amenities in the bathtub area were knocked over and seemed like they had remained perfectly in place while supposedly Ryan pulled his wife's limp body out of a bathtub. While there was no question that Sarah died from drowning, police were very concerned about the manner of that drowning, and their investigation had begun. From the family's perspective, with no clue that police found Sarah's death to be suspicious, they tried to come up with a solution. Sarah had been known her whole life to just fall asleep anywhere, involuntarily fall asleep. Uh, 
She often complained of headaches like she had been on the night she died and was caught on numerous home videos sleeping at family functions during all hours. Friends encouraged her to go to a doctor, but she never did. She shrugged off the issue by saying nothing was wrong. She was just tired all the time. The family wondered, as Ryan had theorized during his call to 911, if some undiagnosed condition caused Sarah to fall asleep in the bathtub and accidentally drown. Upon completion of Sarah's autopsy, the medical examiner found no signs of a stroke or heart attack. Unexplained bruising to Sarah's head and neck were discovered. At the crime scene, detectives found no evidence of forced entry or anyone else being in the home besides Sarah and Ryan. There were only two explanations. Either Sarah experienced some unknown health problem that caused her to tragically drown in the tub or Ryan Widmer killed his wife. Detectives felt like their main head scratcher the dry body and damp hair didn't match Ryan Widmer's story. Two days after the death of Sarah Widmer, her husband, Ryan Widmer, was arrested for her murder. While out on bond, Ryan, as well as the greater Cincinnati community and beyond, awaited the trial. Now, here's where things get a little bit different for us. Welcome to the court of Odd. Tonight, you five jurors are tasked with determining whether or not Ryan Widmer murdered his wife. Uh I will be acting as both the prosecutor and the defense attorney, and I'll do my best to stay in character, (laughs) but for certain (laughs) testimony. But for certain testimonies, why is that funny? It is funny. <laughs> I'm both. I'll be arguing with myself. Yeah. Uh, I'll, for certain testimonies, I'll just tell you what was said at the trial. I am going to present the highlights of each side's argument, and after that, the rest is up to you. Now, like a true jury, you all must come to a unanimous agreement, so if someone else is not seeing what you see, you are to deliberate and convince them of your belief. If you cannot come to a unanimous agreement, a mistrial shall be declared. Let's get started with the prosecution. Let's start at the very beginning with his 911 call. Uh, Ryan Widmer does not use this call to 911 for the purpose of saving Sarah. He uses this call to place himself as far away from the scene of the crime as he can. He gives very little information about her condition, but the first thing he says is, I was downstairs and I had nothing to do with this. Don't know what to tell you. During the trial, the prosecution called the 911 dispatcher who took the call to the stand, who testified that he felt the amount of detail given by Ryan Widmer was strange, as it's usually difficult to, quote, get anything out of them, unquote. Members of the jury, I am sending you a photo right now of the bathroom and bathtub in question. This is not a large tub, so how is it that Sarah was found in such an unnatural position, as described by the defendant himself? Sarah was found face down with her head near the faucet, half bent in two. In addition to this, by the time EMTs arrived on the scene, the defendant claims they had just removed Sarah from the bathtub minutes before. Yet, all the arriving personnel corroborate the same story that Sarah was dry. 
Her hair was slightly damp. On top of all that, the tub was dry. The floor was dry. The bath mat and towel on the floor all dry. And Ryan Widmer himself completely dry. How is it that a man lifts a grown woman's body out of a tub of water and leave no evidence that a large amount of water was even present. It's not possible. What happens to fingers and toes after some time spent in water? They wrinkle. Sarah's fingers and toes weren't wrinkled. According to Ryan Widmer's story, she had gone up to take a bath approximately 25 to 30 minutes prior to him finding her. She should have had wrinkled fingers and toes, but she didn't because her body had been out of the tub for longer than what the defendant is saying. Bottom line is that for his story to work, water should have been all over the place and it wasn't, which suggests a cleanup and a cleanup means that there was something to hide. As for the theory that Sarah fell asleep in the tub due to some undiagnosed medical condition, here is a quote from an expert witness for the prosecution. It would be virtually impossible for somebody without the influence of drugs or alcohol or something external to fall asleep and not wake up. So, first, the sensation of water on your face would wake you up. Two would be the gag reflex, water entering your airway, just choking you. And three, if for some reason that didn't, the drop in oxygen would actually cause you to stimulate and then wake up, unquote. The coroner also testified that there was no evidence of heart problems, brain injury, or seizure. In fact, Sarah Widmer had regular medical care and regularly went to the doctor for a yearly physical. She had the opportunity for any pre-existing condition to be caught and looked into by a doctor, but there wasn't anything to find. The coroner also testified that the bruising to her neck and scalp were suspiciously significant, and in their opinion, not in the right spot to be caused by EMT's life-saving efforts. He ruled the manner of death as homicide. A forensic pathologist testified a theory as to how Sarah was killed that night. Quote, her head was pushed over the edge of either the bathtub or the sink or the toilet, either forwards or backwards, either in a pool of water or under running water. That's how she died, end quote. Invisible fingerprints were also found in the tub, and while they couldn't be conclusively linked to Sarah, they did match that of a smaller person. What is an invisible fingerprint? It, uh, it like a... I don't know. That's what they said in the research. <laughs> I, I, I think it, it was a fingerprint that like they I, 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 no, I they only know. found it because they like really when when okay. I wonder if it's like be. some fingerprints are more obvious as you can see them on like a window or like you can actually or like on like a like some metal or whatever you can see the fingerprint. Right. Oh, yeah, like it that might be it. Like unless you where was yes. like unless you dusted for it or something you so, were seeing the fingerprint. Lift or something From like that. my understanding, the fingerprint was at like the bottom of the tub. So, um so they're saying that the fingerprint can be conclusively linked to Sarah, but they did match that of a smaller person and the location of these prints would suggest someone having their head down in the tub and their hands trying to push themselves up and out as if Sarah's head was being held down and she was fighting back to get her head above water. So like, let's say this is the edge of the, the bathtub here. They're saying that it could look like the fingerprints are her head over the ridge of the tub and her hands inside of it trying to push herself out against someone holding her head down. 
Sarah's mother testified that Ryan would constantly be aware of any purchases Sarah made and question her about any money being spent. Is that a motive for murder? Not necessarily. However, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that in every relationship there are issues that only the couple know about. And if Ryan was so controlling over small increments of money, who's to say what else could be going on behind closed doors? And with that, it is now time for the defense. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client Ryan Widmer has lived his life without so much as an inkling of violence, has no criminal record, and did not, out of the blue, kill his wife, Sarah. I can't explain to you why this tragedy has happened, but neither can the prosecution. What I can explain to you is how my client is a good man, a good husband, and above all else, innocent. You will see all of the cracks in the case against my client, and when you do, you will find him not guilty. Ryan Widmer was plagued from the very beginning and pegged as a suspect as soon as he made the 911 call to save his wife. It is unfortunate that in his wording, the police chose to see deceit. All Ryan knows is that his wife is unconscious in the bathtub. And in the midst of his rationalization of what's going on while he's trying to rescue and resuscitate Sarah, he remembers that she falls asleep often and has fallen asleep in the bathtub before as well. Police want to say my client wasn't giving information on Sarah when that right there is information pertinent to the investigation, suggesting a possible previous condition. The coroner was much too quick to rule this a homicide. He had no idea she had such unusual sleep habits. He had no idea she was suffering from a headache that day. The prosecution says that it'd be impossible for Sarah not to wake up once her head went underwater, but that's assuming that Sarah didn't have some underlying condition in the first place. Her whole day, she had said to others that she didn't feel well and had a headache, and just before the bath, spoke of it again over text to a friend. These conditions to an otherwise healthy woman would not come across as a big deal. And bottom line, sometimes a medical pathologist can't say for certain the cause of someone's death. A doctor who specializes in emergency medicine testified that unexplained deaths occur far more often than most people believe. Nationwide, there are about 300,000 episodes of sudden death per year, and oftentimes, like in this case, those deaths are examined in regular autopsies that don't get to the root of the issue. Sometimes people just die. As for the dry body and wet hair, well, what seems suspicious is really just a simple explanation. Hair stays wet longer than skin. It is not difficult to believe that in the time between 911 call and when EMTs arrived that Sarah would have dried off. As for the pruning of her fingers and toes, no one can say exactly when Sarah got in the tub. She could have been taking off her makeup in the mirror or doing any number of things while running herself a bath, and there is no concrete way to say that she got in the tub at any exact time. Also, ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution wants you to believe that because the bathroom was dry, that that automatically makes my client a killer. But you can't have it both ways. If my client killed Sarah and there was a struggle, would there not also be water all over the place? Wouldn't my client have signs of a struggle left on him? Like scratches, bruising, all the marks and lacerations that weren't found on my client? The same could be said for Sarah. She had beautifully French manicured nails that were in pristine condition after she passed. And as for their theory 
that it was a staged scene and Ryan cleaned up the water? Where's the wet towels? Where's the supplies one would use to clean a wet bathroom and stage a crime scene? Detectives searched the entire house and didn't find one wet towel or anything to suggest that the scene was cleaned and staged. There are so many more explanations to what police are calling criminal evidence and with the contradiction of the dry bathroom they want to use to their advantage, all that adds up to is reasonable doubt. As for the bruisings on Sarah's neck and scalp, there's no way those marks came from anything other than the life-saving efforts of EMTs. They didn't work on her for five minutes or even ten. They worked on Sarah for 45 minutes. Testimony was given by an emergency room doctor who testified that the bruising seemed perfectly consistent for resuscitation efforts. Finally, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have not heard about any secret lovers or out-of-control finances because none of that exists in this case. 114 days they'd been married, just dipping their toes into the honeymoon phase. Ryan loves his wife, and the prosecution concedes that there is no motive to be found. The defense rests. And with that, it is now up to you to decide a verdict. Mm. Any questions you have about the evidence, please ask me and I will try to give you both sides of each argument. Anyone want to start? Seems like you want to start. Okay, so here's what I think. I think that he killed her mostly because even though there weren't like signs of a struggle or something, if he knew that she fell asleep all the time, if he knew that she had a headache before she like went into the bath or whatever, like maybe she planned to have a bath and maybe she did like not feel great before, but maybe he saw that as an opportunity to be like, oh, okay, this is a good time. And if she, maybe she like had fallen asleep and then like while she was asleep, he decided to drown her or something so that there wasn't as much of a struggle. And then I don't know. I mean, I know that if he had really pulled her out like soaking wet out of a tub and hadn't had any time to like clean up the floor or anything, that that floor would still be wet because like whenever I take a shower or something and I walk on the floor after getting out of a shower, my tiled floor will stay wet forever. Even though, like, I, uh, I don't know, have walked on it a bunch. Like, I feel like it's impossible to pull a limp body out of a bathtub without creating some sort of trail of water behind you. So, even though it had been a while that she would have had the opportunity to, like, dry off or something... I feel like there still would have been evidence to show that she had been pulled out of that tub. Was water found in her lungs? She drowned. She 100% drowned. Okay, so there are cases where people are found underwater, but they died before they were in water, and the determining factor of did they drown or killed above water is if water's in the lungs. What I understand. I do know the one thing that's like, for sure, she drowned. Okay, so the two things that worry me is what I thought is that she drowned and then the other thing is that she was found face down she was found kind of face down and like kind of half like crumpled up like she was found face down head near the faucet side um, and her legs were kind of like tucked in from what I understand 
from what I'm aware of, and if this is wrong, then obviously I'm wrong, but from what I'm aware of, you are not able to drown yourself. You, the fight or flight kicks in, and as you try to hold your head underwater, you lift your head above water. And so the whole thing of her being from she's pretty much face down and then water in her lungs both of those things just seem very odd that you really can't keep yourself underwater you end up saving yourself if you try to drown yourself the point with that I think the the prosecution was saying that's a weird position to fall asleep into uh-huh. yeah that's super weird why, why would she be like that um, and the defense is saying like Yes, it's weird because it's this is one of those one in a million situations where right. she had some yeah, undiagnosed yeah. thing and somehow ended up in that position because she just passed out in the middle of who knows what. And I guess I would want to know the numbers on like like let's just say narcolepsy. Let's I would want to know the numbers of people that have narcolepsy that did die of drowning and kind of what the the situation was around that. Yeah, actually, nothing like that came up in any yeah. of my research. It's already but... a very rare disorder. And right. as far as I'm aware of, like, narcolepsy, how it works is there's such a... I mean, with any disease, there's a spectrum to how severe it can be and how deep the sleep is. Because it's literally your brain, like, shutting off. Like, turning down. Momentarily yeah, turning and being off. like, all right, yeah. it's time to sleep. And then you sleep. And people can wake you up or they might not. Because that leads to my question for you two, then. What's his motive? That's all like Tanner said earlier. You never know what's going on. Well, wasn't it the financial garbage? That's like, it's like a tiny little piece. Prosecution admits they don't know an exact motive. Or like he could literally just be crazy. You never know. I feel like there would be prior indication from some Anything. Like literally anything. But it sounds like he was literally crazy. Like perfectly clean, but then there are those whole situations of like uh, what are they called? Like family annihilators, where it's just these perfectly good husbands wipe out a wife and multiple kids, and they just snap one day. So it's like, what if his snapping point came before kids, and he's a family annihilator, but it just came before there was the typical full family, and it just was a wife at that point. I'm like, going to interject real quick and just say this is exactly where I wanted things to end up it's, it's of not everyone on the same page. It's like, okay, yeah, people like snap and stuff. But like, on like this normal average night, he's just watching TV and, and like his wife is taking a bath. With a family I feel like that's a really good Every night cover. is normal and average until a murder happens. Ah, yes. good point. Which is, you're right. I'm not, I'm not saying I disagree with you. But, like, I feel like something would have at least led up to this point. I don't know. It, it just seems kind of like, yeah, we were just chilling, and my wife died. <laughs> well, see, there's this guy, his, na- uh, his name's Chris or Christopher or something like that. I believe it was in Texas, and one night he and his family were just having a normal night, and then... Next thing we know is police are investigating him and different uh, like time clocks and cameras and different things. He are you talking him. about Chris Watts? 
Um, yeah, literally wipes out his whole family and buries them out at his work site. I, I kind of want to do an episode Just on that. Just a random <laughs> night, like nothing happens. No, no, like really, no nothing. It's just a night, and then one night he just wipes out his whole family and wraps his wife up in in their bed sheets and buries the whole family out in his work site, like twenty miles from that. I will so, say his motive was he wanted to start a new life with his uh, mistress, right? And also, I, so I will give you that, but also, like you said in the in the monologue, you don't know what's going on in a relationship. Unless you're in that relationship. The prosecution did make that point, yes. Let's also look at the aspect of... Like, let's go with that case we were just talking about. Even... Let's remove the prosecutor. Let's say any family annihilator. You have to look at the after behavior as well as a predictive notion of before behavior. And so he buries the family in the backyard. That's abnormal. No, not the backyard. It is work site, like, 20 miles away. Okay, he buries them in a location. This situation, we see the character, we see the supposed murderer behaving in a very shock-like manner. Shock can make a person do weird things, where you come home, find your entire family dead, but you realize the stove is still on, you turn it off. People react very coldly rational in these situations because of how shock works. And I think that could maybe contribute, like, oh, everything's dry. Well, you find your wife dead... You pull her out thinking you saved her, and your brain literally cannot function. Yeah. So you clean everything because that's the only sense of normalcy in the situation, which to me is an apt explanation of why are things dry. Maybe he dried it because what else are you going to do when you find your dead body? Also, what about... Police did not find any evidence of any wet towels or anything being cleaned at all. Also, I don't know how shock happens, but if I pull Hannah out of the bathtub... You better believe until the cops come or before EMTs arrive that I'm not stopping CPR until somebody more qualified than me takes over. And like I just said, I don't know how shock would happen to me, but I, I, I mean, I've climbed into an RV that flipped over off the side Mm -hmm. of the interstate to make sure that the person was still alive. I've been in some high stress situations Mm -hmm. and I feel like I would be able to stay. I mean, it wasn't my significant other, but I, I don't know how, I don't know how the love of your life, the person that you've married and dedicated your life to is found upside down in a bathtub and you stop to dry the floor. I, I, and that's the weird thing. About and, and yeah, and also he's not me, so right. he could have had a different response. I'm just saying, for me, as somebody who has found themselves in a high stress situation that was very, very sudden, um, I, I just don't see myself drying the floor and doing this, and then, but as Tanner said, there were no, there were no wet towels, there was no mm-hmm. indicator of a drying or clean up I guess. real quick I just want to interject uh, all in favor of guilty put your hands up can I like raise half my elbow like okay. I, I just yet. wanted to see if there was like a like where things sat right now I will say there's a little bit more after you guys make a decision I'm always obviously. I'm always skeptical of everybody because there's some weird shit that happens I'm, no. I'm definitely leaning towards the guilty side I don't think there's a beyond a reasonable doubt claim 
No, I mean, I just feel like it's such a weird circumstance and it's also such like a, uh, I don't know. I don't think that like the reasons he had for his wife just like falling asleep or, you know, just dying of an accident or natural causes or whatever. I feel like that just doesn't hold up. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I take a lot of baths and I don't think I have ever found myself in that position in a bathtub. <laughs> like face down. Just, just quite yeah. honestly, like why would I Yeah, especially if you're like taking a bath and you're relaxing and stuff. It's like when you fall asleep, I feel like you would sink down into the bath. Right. And maybe like you're you would slip under because you are just like sliding further into the bath and your face slips under and you right. could drown that way. Also, but- I judge anybody that takes a bath. They're gross. Okay, well, that's including me. However, oh, I judge uh, you. I know. But my parents used to be concerned about me like falling asleep in a bathtub all the time because I would just like take the longest baths and then they'd be like, where's Hannah? Is she dead in a bathtub? We don't know. Because, I mean, they weren't that nonchalant about it, I assure you. They ran upstairs and always checked on me. But it was always a concern. But I guarantee it was never a concern that I was going to be face down in a tub. But I'm just confused as to how she drowned then or where she would have drowned if she was drowned by her husband. But there was no cleanup and the tub was dry. And, like, where was she drowned then? Also, I I guess the thing, the other thing that really just kind of like bugs me is like, I have, in the grand scheme of things, very short hair. And when I hop out of the shower or the, God forbid, bath, um, my hair is wet for quite a long time. Sorry, as you bring that up, I just sent you guys a picture of uh, Ryan and Sarah. Okay. Um, My hair is wet for... A good amount of time, even after I dry it, like it's and the fact that they said it was damp. Any girl that gets her hair wet to the point of being face down in a bathtub, that hair stays wet, like wet, not damp, for a very. They did specify damp, damp, not, not wet. wet, and that's a very long time that the hair stays that way. And so I just find that very odd. Okay, Do we have? <laughs> A verdict, all in favor of guilty, put your hands up. Don't feel pressured. I'm not I trying to pressure think you. He's guilty. I don't know either way yet. I honestly. Does anyone feel like their mind can't be swayed? I mean, I feel like there'd have to be some pretty, like, hard. Yeah. I have damning a lot of evidence. I just, I just have a gut feeling that he is guilty. Uh, I need more I will than equip. my gut, then I can decide. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have reasonable doubt. I, I've listened to too many true crime things, and so I feel like he's guilty because it's always a significant Sorry. other or somebody close to them, but I have too much reasonable doubt, and there's nothing that's like, oh, yeah, he did it. So I, I can't say he's guilty, so I, uh, I don't know. Change my mind, Tanner. I'm not part of this. <laughs> I present you facts. Well, you said there was more to come. <laughs> I, I do think he's guilty because just the evidence doesn't... Yes, there's a ton of reasonable doubt, so I understand that in a court of law, there may not be, like at least as of this moment, as far as we know, like as much as you've told us, there may be like too much reasonable doubt to, you know, to say that he's guilty, but there are too many things about 
the scene, even just from the perspective of the EMTs and stuff, that just doesn't make sense for a natural death, like of natural causes, whether it was, a, you know, a condition that wasn't like that everyone wasn't aware of or something. It just it doesn't make sense. Also, something I just kind of realized as she was talking is I, the weight of saying somebody's guilty. Like, this is this is nowhere even remotely close to a real trial. Oh, no, not at all. And, like, not the, at all. the feeling <laughs> of saying, oh, he's guilty just kind of made me realize, like, the true weight of, like, if you're actually on a jury. And oh, just right. Kinda, like, this is a real case with real people, and I like, kind of turned it into a game, but, it, like, we still are taking it seriously. Like, it just kind of yeah. made me feel like, oh, shit, like, if I was actually on a jury, like... There would have to be a lot of proof. Oh my god! Yeah, like it just kind of stressed me out for a second, like realizing just like the true weight of saying, "Oh yeah, this person did it," when you mm-hmm. don't actually know. Mm-hmm. That especially just in a case like a especially lot. in a case like this, I I actually I don't know which way to go because I can like I wanted to say he was guilty right off the bat, but then at the same time I'm like, <laughs> where's the Where's the clear expan- explanation for him killing? Yeah. There's no smoking gun. Yeah, I it and it's it's all yeah. it's all like pretty gray, so I can't really like I can't be quick to decide. Honestly, I feel like I need more. In the court of odd, we find a mistrial. After 23 hours of deliberation, the real-life jury returns for the charge of aggravated murder. They find him not guilty of killing his wife with premeditation. On the lesser count of murder, they find him guilty. And many people were outraged by the verdict. The community following the case felt that the state had no smoking gun. Ryan continued to declare his innocence, and many family and friends felt like no justice had been served. A web designer in the community created a website called FreeRyanWidmer.com, and many people flocked to the page to voice their support for Ryan Widmer. After the trial, the prosecution brought up things that the judge did not allow to be brought up during the trial, such as the fact that Ryan Widmer had frequented a website called Adult Friend Finder before Sarah's death. The defense also made statements defending Ryan by pointing out that the data collected about these website visits could be explained by pop-ups and ads rather than an actual website visit. This evidence was not entered into the trial because the judge ruled that there was no way to know if Sarah knew about these potential website visits. At the end of the day, however, none of it seemed to matter. Ryan was convicted and only the long process of appeals could give him any hope of release. Now, you guys, for the first trial, said mistrial. In real life, shortly after the verdict, Ryan Widmer's defense attorney got a fax. It was... (laughs) He got a fax, a thing that we haven't heard about. just shook his head like, what the hell? Just, what's a fax? Uh, it, It was from one of the jurors. They said that they had to clear their conscience about something they didn't feel was right. It turns out, during deliberation, a few of the jurors performed their own experiments in relation to the case. They went home, took a bath, and waited to see how long it would take for them to air dry. They then brought their findings back to the deliberation Ah. table and (laughs) 
What? Oh, no, not at all. Um, And used these at-home experiments to aid in their decision of guilty. Jurors are only supposed to consider evidence brought in during the trial, not go home and create their own experiments to base their verdict on. All of the jurors were questioned about this and openly admitted to doing these experiments, as well as admitting the fact that it affected their decision making. And thus, four months after his conviction, Ryan Widmer was given a second trial. So we can do this again if you want, but... It's basically the same trial. The only thing that was different was the defense like took the jury to the bathroom and was like, look, if there was a violent struggle, there'd be water everywhere. There's there's no like, look at how small it is. Uh, If there was water everywhere, wouldn't you find cleaning supplies and wet towels and whatever? Please have none of that. And then other than that, it's the same trial again. So unless someone's opinions have changed. Other than the potential visits to adult friend finder, um, that's that's all you're considering for a second one. If you guys want to deliberate again or if you feel like your opinions have not changed. Trial number two from the Court of Odd. Another mistrial. We're very good at this. Very, very good. Um, This was kind of what I expected, though. But for this trial, the jury deliberated for days. And when they came back, they told the judge that there was no way possible they could come to an agreement. There were seven in favor of guilty, one undecided, and three not guilty. The judge declared a mistrial. It is now time for the third and final trial. This time, however, something was different. The prosecution got a call from someone, someone who stirred up rumors around town about the third trial. This person became known as the mystery witness, the star witness for trial number three, a witness who claimed that Ryan Widmer confessed to them. The defense team would not get to know the identity of this witness until trial because the witness claimed that Ryan Widmer had threatened their life to keep them quiet. Her name was Jennifer Crew. She is a woman from Iowa. She came across the Ryan Widmer case after watching an episode of Dateline that featured Sarah's peculiar death. She found the free Ryan Widmer website and sent Ryan an email through it. She shared her thoughts and beliefs that Ryan was innocent, and soon after, their email correspondence became more frequent. Eventually, these conversations took on a sexual nature. Jennifer Crew even claimed that Ryan had asked her to come to Ohio with a girlfriend of hers for a threesome, and she had initially agreed to find someone and make it happen. I don't believe anything she says now. The reason that she was on the stand, however, was because of a phone call that took place on October 26, 2009. Jennifer claimed that she was awoken from sleep by a phone call from Ryan. She said that he sounded intoxicated. According to Jennifer, Ryan told her through tears, quote, I did it. I did it. I killed Sarah, unquote. When she confusedly tells him that she's sure it's not his fault, he says, quote, No, Jen, listen to me. I did it. End quote. 
Jennifer continues on to say that Ryan admitted to a fight breaking out between him and Sarah, that she had found out about him cheating on her while she was away on a trip. Jennifer says that when she promised him she'd never tell anyone, he said, quote, I hope not because I wouldn't want you to be where Sarah's at, end quote. Jennifer Crew tells the court that she didn't come forward immediately after the phone conversation because of Ryan's threat and because she also assumed the second trial would have ended in another conviction. When it didn't, she claimed that her guilt for not coming forward had grown too strong and that she needed to do the right thing. While there's no denying the conversation and sexual messages and calls between Jennifer Crew and Ryan Widmer happened, they did, the defense stated that Jennifer was lying about the confession and they proceeded to discredit her as a witness. She was a former waitress at a strip club with a few misdemeanor crimes on her record. She had previously been convicted of theft as well as fraudulent practices and was also in a treatment program for her painkiller addiction. The defense points out that due to her drug addiction and use of Oxycontin for five years, her memories were not to be trusted. The defense pointed out how her memory when reporting the phone call to detectives did not match the records of the call, like duration and time of call. She only knew those details after she had gotten to see her phone records during the trial. To undo any discrediting of Jennifer Crew that the defense had done, the prosecution called her fiance, who she was with at the time of her phone relationship to Ryan Widmer. To the stand, he corroborated her story, saying she immediately came downstairs crying and telling him what had just been said by Ryan. Because of this testimony, however, the defense got to call their own surprise witness to the stand, a woman named Melissa Waller from Seattle, Washington. She was testifying for the defense to help refute the claims made by Jennifer Crew. She, like Jennifer, saw Widmer's case on a Dateline special and reached out to him through the website. She was married, but her husband supported her friendship with Ryan. Things never became sexual between the two, but they did communicate regularly, and she had flown to Ohio to visit a friend and attend some free Ryan Widmer events. Melissa Waller, as shown by phone records, had a long conversation with Ryan Widmer the same night that Jennifer Crew had her supposed confession conversation. The call with Melissa Waller ended just six minutes before the call with Jennifer Crew. She claimed that he was perfectly composed during their entire conversation and didn't seem in any way inebriated. And with those two new testimonies and all the information you've been given before, it is now time for the Court of Odds final trial in the case of Ryan Widmer and your job to decide guilty or not. Mm. Can we offer any commentary? I mean, you guys can, yes. So the one interesting thing is when we look at memory consolidation and creation, there is a phenomenon where like post hoc like information affects the memories you remember. Such as, I mean, the classic study is 9-11. People always say, oh, I know exactly where I was. And then they did like a longitudinal study. Uh, 10 years after the fact, people said, oh, I know exactly where I was. And it's a different story than they told 10 years ago. Like, to the T, like, not at all the same. So, prior memory causes memory, or prior, new information of a prior memory causes that memory to change. 
which to me sounds like this situation where these women have now learned this case and like they were involved with the suspect and everything was going weird and wrong and of course he's going to attach and have a conversation with them because hey he's under murder trial he's going to connect with someone not in Ohio because they're maybe the only sense of normalcy he gets and their memories are just going to get befuddled a lot because of all the different and conflicting information creating memories essentially in their head and that's my two cents on the memory of the witnesses being compromised. I still quit. Did you study psychology in college? Yes, and also I'm reading a book by a criminal psychologist on memory, false memories. Wow. <laughs> I can corroborate his statements as true. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, uh, whether it's warranted or not, the moment... I learned that she was like in any way sexually involved with him. It kind of was just like a, in my head, I dismissed it all. Cause I don't know. There, there are all those cases of like, you know, people are convicted or not convicted of this or that, but they're in prison and these, uh, what was it like? I mean, obviously he was sensationalized, but like the Ted Bundy thing, and like all these girls were coming to the, the, the here or the, trials. the trials, and like sitting there, and they were like, they were like enamored with him, you know. And it's like, there's this type of situation where this kind of almost like sexual love is sparked by these criminal situations and it's like the moment I heard of that I just I don't know if I can believe I, I don't know it just kind of it, it I love that it. you said that once we're done with this I have a point I want to make on that I guess that just taints it for me well but at the same time wasn't it like that is 100% confirmed right that they had they this, had a like, sexual relationship yes. okay okay so I mean it's not like she was like fantasizing it or like imagining it it like was a real thing it's whether right, you believe her or not on the confession all story. that came right. after the trial though right all this is the third trial so all this came after the first two right exactly so all i'm saying is there was press coverage you may have heard about it blah 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 she did all the uh melissa yeah. the second woman who defended him and Jennifer both found out about the case and reached yeah. out to him after seeing the case on Dateline. Okay, yeah, so then I, I hold to what I was saying. The whole, like, I don't know. I feel like the whole sexual relation thing in introduces motives, and that kind of sucks for Ryan. I don't know. I, I'm leaning more towards guilty now just because... It, a lot of stuff adds up, and I can see the points of the defense like, oh, no, like, it could have just happened. But I also feel like that's a weird cop-out situation where it's just like... It's tough. I I don't know. Yeah, because I would say the devil's advocate to that is the woman who, like, brought on the confession. What was her name? Melissa? Uh, no, Melissa was the... Defense. Jennifer is the one who said he confessed. Yeah. So, yeah. like, Jennifer, if she found out that he was talking to this other girl, and also she was 
in a relationship with a fiance, I don't entirely, and whether this is warranted or not, I don't entirely trust her credibility to speak sensibly in an emotionally charged situation to not just say, oh, I could get you thrown in jail. Let's see how this goes. You are talking to other women. <laughs> I, yeah. And that, I would say, is probably a decent defense argument. It's, it's, it's hard to say because, like, I feel like no one is really credible. Exactly. Because, like, at, <laughs> at this point, how it's can very I trust, sensational. Yeah, how, yeah, exactly. Like, how can I trust any of these people? This case has been highly publicized by this trial. Like, very, like, a big, big story. And it's that's still being talked about. It's still a big story today. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go with guilty. But. Sarah, how do you feel? Such a good question, Tanner. Thank you so much for asking it. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I am the odd one. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, truthfully, I feel like women are often just like discredited a lot in situations like that. So uh, I feel like just because they had like a, a, a sexual or like um, pen pal-esque relationship with him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't want to just like throw that away. But I, I've always thought he was guilty. And I don't think that like what these women are saying really changed that for me. Like, I don't know if I necessarily, like, am taking everything they say as, like, hard evidence. If you strip both their testimonies away, you've thought he was guilty from the beginning. Yeah, I already thought he was guilty. I just, I, I just find it really hard to believe that she just fell asleep in the tub, and that's how she died. Like, I just feel like there's just so much other stuff, weird stuff that like maybe can't, isn't just like clear cut. That's funny. Three mistrials. That's hilarious. I, I wasn't <laughs> sure. I was scared. That's what I meant. I was like, either you guys are going to like perfectly like argue and then come to a point or you're all going to agree from the beginning and this episode will be boring as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, guilty. Yep, he did it. He's guilty. <laughs> yeah. He's like, guilty. Right, thanks, I, I was a little worried. I was like, you don't want to deliberate anymore? No, he, he did it. He did it, yeah. She was found in the bathtub. I kind of had a feeling of that with the evidence that one of us would be against. It makes sense. Name why? why the final verdict, guilty. Huh. Ryan Widmer really? once right. again was given 15 years to life. After the trial, it came out that on Ryan's side of the courtroom was a woman, another Sarah, Sarah Manners. She also had come across Ryan's case from the same episode of Dateline and reached out to him through the website. She visited him in Ohio while he was out on bond and they began a romantic relationship together. As far as I know, she is still with him and proclaims his innocence to this day. They kept their relationship secret during the trial so as to not give ammunition to the prosecution. Ryan is still in prison, and there are still many supporters calling for the case to be relooked at. And that is the story of Sarah Widmer's bizarre drowning. I I haven't gotten to talk about my opinions, so mine are kind of complicated because of fucking. Of course they are. Um, <laughs> but when I was going through this case, I was like, he's not guilty for sure. I thought that through both the first two trials. 
I was like, he's not guilty. And you know what? Even outside of my opinion on that, there is reasonable doubt that he's, you know, not guilty. So therefore, like if I really were in the seat, I couldn't say guilty. Then the third trial happened. And then a woman came forward and said he confessed, Jennifer Crew. And then another woman came forward and defended him. But in my brain, I was like, well, there's still like both women who reached out to him who he was having consistent conversations with. So I don't believe a fucking word that Jennifer Crew says. I'll say that firsthand. But it doesn't change the fact that Ryan Widmer was like using his free Ryan Widmer website as a fucking like dating game. And that to me was super weird. Super weird, especially when the the Melissa girl was like, "No, I it my husband supports it," and I don't know why I'm giving her that accent. She's from Seattle. <laughs> my, my husband supports it, and it's not sexual. I just again don't know why I'm doing this, but I was like, "Fucking come on, like yeah. it's not sexual, really." Like, I don't believe that at all. And it's funny you brought it up, Josiah, because I also thought about all those cases where a criminal is on TV and a lot of times uh, it's really only been seen like studied in women and it hasn't even been studied that much. I've looked into it a little bit, but a lot of times women will come forward and they'll be like, I'm in love with this person. And other people are like, well, he's, he's, he killed his entire family. And they're like, I know. Hot. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> like they come out of the woodworks, like a yeah. bunch of them, like every time. And this has no scientific basis. What I'm about to say <laughs> this, not at all. So but this is just me being crazy, but Prepare yourselves. there's three women that we know of that came out of the woodwork after seeing him be a potential fucking murderer. Yeah. And, minimum two of them were like sexually involved with him. And to me, I'm like, I wonder, and again, crazy, nothing based on science. I wonder if it's one of those cases where it's those, it's those type of women who see like a a, a violent criminal and for some reason are attracted to that. And I wonder if that means like subconsciously he, they like know he fucking did it. Yeah. That that again, and no yeah. science based on that. But do you get what I mean? Where it's like they just no, they have a vibe. Yeah. They have a vibe that he did it, and they He's and that's way. why they're attracted to him. Because why would they come out? Of, why would they come out of the woodwork for a guy who like? And I mean, you can make the same. Fame. You can make the same argument where they're like attracted to like the violent nature of it, but want to say, cause a lot of them want to say like, Oh, that would never happen to me. And that's consistent. So like I could even argue against myself, but it's just weird to me. It's weird that th- minimum three women came forward and seemed to be in a similar position as that, as if subconsciously they knew he fucking killed his wife. And on top of that, it's maybe it's they wanted publicity or like to put their name out in the public arena. But also, that's why I don't trust Jennifer. One average dude to another, this guy is not necessarily like. Oh, he's not hot. No, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, <laughs> 
I love it when one person says something like that and the dominoes fall and we're all just like... No, no, no. <laughs> I, he's not an unattractive dude. We're, he's just not somebody that you would necessarily <laughs> like write it's home just, about. Nathan's just holding up his picture. I just... Like, I... He's not an unattractive dude, but he's just, he, he's somebody you would pass on the street and not be like, oh damn, that's a really hot dude. Like, so it's just like the fact that like three women come out and all these relationships come out while he's in jail about possibly killing his wife. It just adds to that's the- That's why it's weird to me. That's why it's some weird no, mysticism it's, it's shit where they know. It's look like Bradley Cooper or Brad Pitt or some, what's up with people named Brad that are hot? Jeez. They're all so hot. But like- that's mm. two in like seven. If, you, if you're <laughs> <laughs> if you're Brad and you're listening to us, you're super hot. Check our merch store for our Brad's are hot T-shirts. <laughs> Brad's are hot and the birds did it. Brad's, Brad's are hot and the birds did it. That's good, and then the guys. quote is Josiah and, and Sarah. Is a prerequisite for murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's on the back. That's that's the twenty dollars shirt versus the fifteen dollars shirt. <laughs> Tank up on the I, front. Shout saying, out to Amy. I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm just saying I I don't know. It's I guess just, I'll put my foot down and say Tanner. Daddy thinks he did it. So <laughs> you're not it's my just, I I think he did. There's I, too much going on, and I, I I guess just I guess just like the the women coming out of the uh, out of the woodwork at the end just kind of really. I guess it just messes with my head. Yeah. Uh, to me, this is my weird breakdown of it. I think he did it. I think he should have been acquitted based on reasonable doubt. Sure. I'm glad he wasn't because I think he did it, even yeah. though I still think that's not right based on the trial. But I still think he did it. I still think he did it. I don't think he confessed to Jennifer Crew, and I think her whole testimony is bull. Yeah. That's my breakdown of all my thoughts on I it. Personally. I will jump pretty much on board with all of that yeah so right. you oh you think he did it now you change your mind i i'm not saying i necessarily think he did it but i think that is what i lean towards is your breakdown just mm-hmm. then but i can't necessarily i don't know i'm apprehensive i would feel i would feel weird myself because if i were an actual jury member i'd be like i think he did it but i don't think right. legally there's enough for me to say he did i right. can't i so can't that's the thing you're not deciding anyone's fate. Right. You're not deciding whether he's actually guilty or if he's innocent. So, based off of that, would you say you think he's guilty? I would say I lean towards the fact that I think he's uh, guilty. It's not <laughs> <laughs> Quit asking for black and white in like the most gray <laughs> shit we've dealt with in a while. I will say. Like, damn. So we usually do. We uh, people listening. We usually do. Well, now we're starting to do three episodes a session. I I didn't realize that all three of the cases I gave you today don't have a clear ending. Yeah. Exactly. What the hell, I'm Tanner? so sorry. No, you're not. I'm I am. So no, I genuinely am. Because I like, I try to keep it diverse, and I didn't realize that all three of them don't have a fucking ending. The Watcher, we're in the middle of the Valo Daybell case, and then this one technically is over, but like, it's who still being argued, still about. up in the air. Literally, recently, people were like, "We need a DNA test from uh, from Sarah to see if we can test for a specific type of condition she may have had." And people are calling for that. Also, when you said this was like 2008, yes, 2008 so was when good. she died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's come a long way since then, but it was there at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Well, 
did you guys like that format of like you guys being the jury, the court of odd? It was cool. I mean, yeah. I think it just like ushered in discussion. I, I, I like the amount of discussion. Things. Yeah. For sure. I think if I was less tired at the moment, I would say that's fair. Yeah. I think if we, I might, I'm, I'm going to try it again, and I think I'm going to do it first. Yeah, do it first. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five star review. That's a huge help toward allowing us to keep the podcast going and eventually make it a weekly show. We very much appreciate your support. And if you want to check out photos from this case as well as our sources, check out the link in the description. Until next time, I'm your host Tanner Azanero, the odd one. Out.